Warning. Listening to this podcast could be hazardous to your mental health. Side effects could include random fits of yelling go bills to total strangers. For your safety, the entire collective medical community recommends caution when consuming this podcast. You are listening to Buffalo on the Brain with the most unathletic man in Bill's Mafia, Vince Taylor. His draft stock is falling due to character concerns. Bill's Mafia, thank you so much for tuning into Buffalo on the Brain with Vince Taylor. I'm your host, Vince Taylor. I hope you had a fantastic 4th of July. And uh, I hope you're excited about today's show as I am. I have a jam-packed hot seat, literally a jam-packed hot seat. It goes for over an hour on its own. Uh, Hot seat guests this week include one half of the IC Mics found right here on the Built-in Buffalo Network, Dan Kelly, as well as fan favorite and one of the nicest guys as well in the Mafia David Tilt Money Tilton, one half of the Air Raid Hour over there on the Buffalo Fanatics channel. And last but not least, special treat for us all, founder of the Built in Buffalo Network, DM3. Super excited to finally get him on the hot seat. Uh, we had an extended chat with him as well. I really enjoyed that. Uh, but there are a couple of other topics I would like to get to. Listen, I know it's the off season. I know things are slow right now. And I realize that there are a lot of content creators out there that are struggling to make content. But my God, there's been a stunning lack of common sense applied to some of these arguments we're seeing out there. I mean, the uh, Lamar versus Josh Allen debate, uh, it's so silly to me. Uh, I objectively, as I can, and, and you guys know that my takes are not always fan-friendly. I try to work really hard to be objective. But I think if you're telling yourself that you would rather have Lamar Jackson right now than uh, Josh Allen, you're just being silly Um, for so many reasons, for so many reasons. Um, And that doesn't have to mean that Lamar Jackson is terrible because he is a franchise quarterback. And I talked about that with Caveman last week. Um, uh, he, he's, he, they don't have to both be bad, but Josh Allen is clearly the superior quarterback right now. He has the scrambling, uh, scrambling ability, but he also has that cannon for an arm and the ability to read a defense and improvise. And I think Lamar is a little bit subpar in that category, but he is an elite scrambler. So they, it's comes down to whatever flavor of quarterback that you prefer. And for me, I prefer the pocket passer. Uh, and I want somebody to win with their arm. And that doesn't mean Lamar is terrible. Like I just said, he is a franchise quarterback. Um, So this whole thing about trying to make one more than the other, I mean, it's silly. Josh is clearly better, but that doesn't mean that Lamar has to be bad. I I feel like sometimes in the Twitter world, we have to take things to one extreme or the other. And uh, in this case, that's clearly not the case. Lamar won an MVP. Lamar is a talented quarterback. Yes, he has some deficiencies, but he is... He's a franchise quarterback, a guy you can win your uh, win with and build your team around and do very well. And and yes, you can criticize him for playoff failures, uh, and that's not super fair um, because there have been plenty of other great quarterbacks that have had playoff failures as well, 
you know, we can talk about Dan Reno. We can talk about uh, Peyton Manning didn't get one for a long time when that was a big knock on him for a long time. So it's just not fair to criticize him for that. Lamar's a great quarterback. He's going to get back there. He may even win a Super Bowl someday. Uh, so let's just stop with all the nonsense right there. But that isn't all the craziness that's going on right now. Um, we have the Stefan Diggs created Josh Allen argument that we've been seeing for the last week, week and a half or so. Uh, that one's even more insane than Lamar versus Josh argument. That's that's just so silly. Um, I, I could spend some time and I could lay the reasons out for you. And um, you've probably already heard them at this point. But, you know, I, I, I'm really big on where Josh came from. I feel like if you're comparing Josh as a rookie quarterback to any other rookie quarterback out there, it's not a, a, it's a false equivalency and it's not apples to apples. Josh was widely regarded as one of the rawest prospects, maybe ever, to come into the draft. And a lot of people thought it was a widely regarded as a reach in the first round. And, uh, you know, he didn't have great coaching in college. He didn't have a great supporting cast in college. He didn't play against the greatest defenses in college. He didn't play in the, in a great conference. He didn't have any signature wins. He couldn't dominate in college. And I, among, um, many bills fans had some criticism and some concerns for that pick at the time. And he wasn't supposed to start his rookie year. And if you think about where he was then when he was drafted and the where he is now, which is clearly a top five quarterback in the league, and, and some people even, like Chris Sims even have him ranked as the second quarterback uh, in the league, it's amazing. That kind of jump is ridiculously unheard of. We will never see anything like that again. We've probably never seen it before. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty certain we've not seen that before, and I don't think we'll ever see it again. So this whole, you know, Stefan Diggs creating Josh Allen. Josh was taking steps before Diggs came around. I mean, yeah, he was not a great passer in his rookie year. He had uh, a crutch. He could use his legs when he needed to. And, you know, that's not a bad thing to have. But I think it does become a crutch. And you started to see in the second half of the second year, where and yes he had a better supporting cast and but that's not the entire story i think you were seeing josh starting to make better decisions for one he's not throwing interceptions as, as often and and those crazy hero ball plays were cut down drastically um and when he was playing hero ball he was successful uh, way more than he was making those ridiculous bonehead picks going into the second half of the second year you were starting already to see josh uh, ascending. I was, I said right here on this podcast, um, back at this time last year that I did expect Josh to make a jump. I thought he would be somewhere around a top 10, you know, quarterback in the league. I did not expect him to get second in the MVP race. I, I, <laughs> I don't think many of us did. Uh, and, and if we did, you know, good for you. But, uh, I think most objective fans would not have predicted that kind of jump. Uh, and, and yes, Stefan Diggs helped. Of course he did. Of course he did. I mean, you just have a you just have a better player that was underutilized on another team with add him to a quarterback that's already making strides. And this is what you get. You know, uh, can you really name too many quarterbacks that didn't have a receiver that they can lie on? Um, no. I mean, it's just it's just a stupid oh, oh, looks like we have a call. Just a second, let's go to the phone lines. 
built in Buffalo customer service line. This is Vince. How can I help you? Hey, Vince. Yeah. Captain Obvious here. Hey, wow. Captain Obvious. Thank you for calling in. Uh, how's everything going? Everything okay? Well, no, things are not actually going that well right now. Uh, I understand it's a slow time for everybody and it's making some folks a little crazy, but my God, have you heard the argument that Stefan Diggs created Josh Allen? I mean, it's a simple formula, a great player playing with another great player and they both get better. It shouldn't be that damn hard, but people are difficult and stupid. And I know right now it's just a slow time, but I mean, it just doesn't stop. And don't get me started on politics either. God damn it. Wow. Captain Obvious, I'm sorry. It sounds like you're having a really tough job right now. I, I understand that sometimes it can be difficult to be Captain Obvious. And uh sounds like you got a lot on your plate and it's really getting to you. Yeah, I, I know. I I should probably relax. I have a lot more days ahead of me like this. I, I think I'm going to go run a hot bath and maybe get a glass of wine and listen to some Kenny G. I, I got to go. I'm getting worked up. I'm out of here, Vince. We'll see you. Bye. Well, okay, Captain Obvious. Uh, I hope you feel better. Enjoy your Kenny G. Yeah, have a great day. Well, there you have it. Even Captain Obvious is getting a little frustrated with this time of year and uh, some of the bullshit that's getting put out. But but let's give it up for Captain Obvious right now. He has got a really difficult job uh, trying to shine a light on the obvious out there. And, uh, you know, he's... He's getting a lot of work in, that's for sure. Uh, what else have we got to talk about? We have um, the Zach Ertz trade. That trade, drama slash saga, that's still going on. Uh, that's been going on since, I believe, and someone can check me on this, um, like 2012. Uh, and and that, from what I hear, it is definitely going to be done. Or it definitely might not be done. Now, I don't have any sources. I can't quote any sources on that. But it will either be done or it will not be done. You heard it right here first. But uh, Ryan Talbot actually put out some information this week about that. He said he did not have any sources, but he knew that a trade was imminent. And I, I'm not smart enough to know if there was like a dig there somewhere or I, I don't understand what that really meant. But here we are. It is 4th of July. Sunday morning and that trade has still not happened yet. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's most likely still a big stalemate with the Eagles trying to hold out and get the best offer that they can. You know, as I've talked about on this podcast, I'm not even sure that he's still looked at as a top tier tight end, like one of the elite guys, because if he was, there'd be 20 teams out there begging for his services and, and up in the ante in a trade war. And that doesn't seem to be the case. Bean's got his value and Bean's not moving off from it. No matter what the Eagles say or Howie Roseman thinks that he can try to drum up and get a little bit of extra pick or extra picks. Uh, Brandon Bean's not falling for it. He's got his price made. And, and I respect that. Uh, as many of you know, I'm, I'm not really, I'm against the, the earth trade, um, but not so much that if it happened, I would be upset by it. Like I could be okay with it if it happened because yes, I do think we have uh, room to upgrade there at tight end. Um, I'm not really interested in taking on this salary and his uh, giving up draft pick compensation and uh, not even sure that he's still the same guy. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering why that hasn't happened yet. 
uh, like I said, I don't understand why Ryan Tal would put that out. But uh, I'm guessing as a dumb podcaster with no sources that uh, that's what's happening behind the scenes. Um, I still believe that the Eagles will move on from him, whether that is a release, which, as I've said before, I think the release is stupid. You're not getting any. Get something back for him. Get a late round pick. Get a sixth, seventh, or maybe even a fourth, whatever the offer is, as opposed to nothing. Uh, But if he gets released, the Bills are not going to get him. Uh, unless we drastically overpay, he's going to go back and play with his buddy Frank Reich and Carson Wentz. So um, I don't think that's likely. But uh, maybe by the time you're hearing this, something will happen. I'm doubtful because it is 4th of July weekend. Uh, This just seems odd to me. And uh, like I said, it's odd on so many levels. I wonder why there isn't 20 teams clamoring for this guy if they still looked at that way. We, We could probably do the same type of jump improvement with Jacob Hollister. But enough about Zach Ertz. That topic has been beat to death. And honestly, that really wasn't even really a story this week. I'm not even really sure I should have brought it up. But what I do want to talk about is Sean McDermott being off, left off pro football talks list of top 10 coaches in the league. Um, Wow, I've got all kinds of criticism there. So in case you're not familiar, I'm going to read the co- the coaches out to you so you can draw your own conclusion. Uh, this is not PFF. <laughs> this is pro football talk, who I generally hold with a little bit more esteem. Uh, number one, Bill Belichick. It's hard to fight with that one. Uh, number two, Sean Payton, Super Bowl winner. Uh, really good offensive mind. He did well last year with, I think, a subpar quarterback. Uh, number three, Mike Tomlin, a well-respected, well-regarded Super Bowl winning coach. Uh, Pete Carroll, same, although I don't really care for him as much. He is, he's a good coach. Uh, John Harbaugh, Andy Reid at six is odd to me. Uh, Andy Reid should maybe be bumped up a few spots. He's an offensive genius mastermind, uh, and, and he is a Super Bowl winner as well, so he should be definitely a few spots up. Kyle Shanahan, a well-regarded coach, an offensive guy, hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. He'll probably get one someday, but that seems a little high. Uh, Ron Rivera, solid guy, maybe not necessarily this high in my book. Matt LaFleur, Mike Zimmer, and then on the fringe, this is what gets me. On the fringe, so you're adding five more coaches. You're saying that at Worst, Sean McDermott is 16th in the league. You have Kevin Stefanski. What has he done? He's had one year with a loaded roster, and yes, he turned that franchise, the Cleveland franchise, around and got him to the playoffs. That's fantastic. But you forget, uh, McDermott did the same thing, and he's been doing it multiple times. So that's that's an odd choice there. Uh, Flores in Miami, which he he's a good he is a good coach, and he comes from the Belichick tree, and he deserves some respect. Um, but I don't know that you put him that high because he hasn't done anything in the league yet. And in fact, I think last year he mismanaged the team. He got the worst of both worlds by flip-flopping Fitzpatrick and Tua because he hurt Tua's development and he still missed the playoffs. Um, I- I'm not sure. Flores does not deserve to be this high. And that doesn't mean that I don't like him as a coach, but he's definitely not in the top half. Uh, Mike Vrabel, yeah, okay. Uh, Sean McVay, at this point in his career, he's starting to feel like he was a flash in the pan and maybe slightly overrated. Um, 
so <laughs> over Sean McDermott, who's in the playoffs three out of the four years after the Bills haven't been in the playoffs for 20 years. And Bruce Arians, Bruce Arians, this, this is very low. I, I I have no qualms with Bruce Arians. He belongs in the top 10, actually. Um, but you can maybe pick out seven coaches out of that 15 that I think you would want to put Sean McDermott ahead of. And remember, I'm not a homer. I'm not a homer. You know that my takes are more measured than that. Um, as, as objective as I can be, this is slander to Sean McDermott and it's coming from pro football talk and I hold them in a lot higher esteem than PFF. It's not a PFF ranking. So that's, it's a little puzzling to me. And it's honestly, it's so, it's so bad and such a large overlook that I kind of think that it is, uh, unintentional. Like they just missed it. They dropped the ball. Like he they forgot to write his name down or something. Um, but that one's pretty egregious. I'd certainly like to hear your thoughts on that. Um, you can hit me up at Podcast Events on Twitter. I want to go ahead and get to the Mafia Hot Seat, the gigantic edition of the Mafia Hot Seat. Uh, it, I think it's the longest one I've ever done. It's over an hour on its own. So I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, Mafia Hot Seat. Vince Taylor and Buffalo on the Brain proudly bring to you the Mafia Hot Seat, a built-in Buffalo production. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Be ready. It might be chilly. All right, Bills Mafia. First up in the Mafia hot seat this week, we have teammates and fellow Built in Buffalo podcaster, one half of the Icy Mics, Dan Kelly. Dan, how are you today? It's the real Dan Kelly, guys. What's up? Uh, of course, I do produce Icy Mics with Mike Shimbersky. Uh Vince, you know, has the hot seat, which I am firmly against, but anything to help these Bills podcasters and get you guys to know me, I'm all for it. So Vince... Hot seats I'm against, you I am not against. So let's get this. Wait, what? <laughs> so you're against, you're for me, but again, how are you against the hot seat? I just think that people sometimes come up with these outlandish scenarios that are never going to happen and are never going to exist. That's why Icy Mike's is what it is. It's, it's, it's frozen takes instead of hot takes. Well, okay. I... I guess. Um, okay, well, we'll go ahead and get started. <laughs> um, you know the drill. I have 10 questions in front of me. You get to pick one number. Which one would you like? What, what numbers do we got left? Are we still on the same track that we were before, or do you have a new set of numbers here? I have a new set every week, and we have 1 through 10 this week. 1 through 10. Do you, you still have all 10 available? You're the first one. All okay. of them are open. All right, let's go Ryan Lindell, number nine. I'm so glad you picked this one. I realize that many Bills fans had some severe criticism of Josh Allen when he was drafted back in 2018, myself among them. Why don't you take us back to draft night 2018 when he was drafted and walk us through what you were doing and feeling? All right. Um, so the draft started 
and Cleveland had the number one pick. You know, Baker was talked about as going number one, but out of these quarterbacks, there, there were some that I wanted and some that I didn't. Um, Josh Allen was sadly one that I didn't want at the time. I also didn't want Sam Darnold. Um, I wanted Rosen and I wanted Mayfield. I think that was that was really it. I would have been okay with Lamar too, but I think he was too reminiscent of Taylor at the time, who was you know just a scrambling guy in my opinion. Um, but you know, I knew they were going to trade up. I didn't know where it was going to be. I assumed it would be top ten. They struck a deal with Tampa Bay to go up. I was, you know, it happened, and I can tell you, I went on social media, and I probably said this, and I I can't find the post because, you know, that stuff's long gone. But I think I said, hey, it's not the Josh I wanted, but it's the Josh we got. So let's see what happens. I wasn't on the Josh Allen is going to be garbage for the rest of his career train. But I wasn't on the Josh Allen for MVP train at that point. So I think I was happy that the Bills just took a quarterback, you know, that early because it hadn't happened in so long. It was bridge guys and it was, you know, people who we knew weren't going to last. Guys like Kyle Orton, Tyrod Taylor, you know, Fitzpatrick even didn't stay too long. So I think it was just – it was – it was happiness, but it was not – it was cautiously optimistic. And, it, and that's a term that I like to use very often with this Bills team because I'm cautiously optimistic about most of their choices. They've done enough to where we can trust them, and Josh Allen was the start of that for this era. Yeah, I I, I actually liked Darnold. And I, I, I think Baker maybe was my second guy. Um and I, and then of course those two guys are gone, and then we end up taking Josh Allen. Um, I liked, I liked Rosen. I didn't like Lamar for the same reason you just said. I felt like that we're trying the same thing. Like if we're gonna draft him, why don't we just stick with Tyrod? Because I, I didn't know they were getting that big of an upgrade. Now there were some folks that liked his ability to work out of a timing based offense at Louisville. But that wasn't my bag. I, I just I wanted a true pocket passer. Uh, I had lived through the entire drought as an adult, and I just watched like you, quarterback after quarterback after quarterback, and I wanted a I true mean, you, you suffered more, Vince, because I was a child. I really didn't understand Bill's football until E.J. Manuel walked on the field. So trust me, you did have it worse. Yeah, and I'm not even mad at the E.J. Manuel I mean, you're taking a shot at him, you know, because that's not something I mean, that the to, Bills to did. Fair, to be fair, it was a big reach. It I, was don't a, think, I don't think I would have been as mad if that was a second-round pick. No, but I guess my point is the Bills didn't take many shots on quarterbacks during the draft or during the drought. I think uh, AJP Lossman was a first-round pick, but he was a later first-rounder where we traded back up to get him. Yeah. They, you know, I watched something on that. Buffalo really wanted Roethlisberger, and it didn't happen. But imagine what could have happened if it was Roethlisberger in Buffalo in the early 2000s. I think that would have been a scary team. I know. Uh, and I, I'm not a Roethlisberger fan. Me neither. I mean, can you imagine if that was – I mean, like, I suppose, like, I was a Yankee fan, and I had to somehow – it was messy, but you make it work when we got A-Rod. Like, I hate this guy, but I have to root for him now. You know, that's what it would have been like. But with Josh Allen, we can – like 
openly embrace and love Josh Allen for who he is and what he does. And that, that's so much better. And I, yeah, I, I was, I was just in class today and I had a buddy go, Hey, you know, Josh Allen, isn't the best leader. I said, I will fight you right now. What do you mean? Josh Allen isn't the best leader. And he just goes into like maturity. And I was like, you need to understand the bills offense really isn't that old. There's nobody there. That's like a, a true veteran of the league, like 10 plus years or anything like that. Josh Allen, is the leader, and we just won 13 games. So I'm very happy with where he's at. I think, yes, he can get better, but right now, his development, I don't think you can say a single bad thing about it. Oh, my gosh. From where he was when we drafted him to where he is now, it's not even the same player. Like uh, there are, pe- and there are people out there who are just the ultra, ultra Homer guys, right? So he was a that- Bengals fan, so it's okay. <laughs> but there, there, there are Bills fans who, whatever the Bills do, is amazing and great, and of course it's going to work out because I'm, I'm not that guy. I try to be a little bit more measured. But there were those guys saying that about Josh Allen when we picked him, and I'm just like, what? are you basing that opinion on? He didn't do shit in college. He went to a shitty conference and a shitty school. I mean, I I like to believe in them as much as I can. And especially nowadays with McDermott, with Bean, with the the continuity that they've brought to the organization and the, you know, it's the same faces. It's not a new offensive coordinator every year. It's not a new defensive coordinator every year. Nothing like that's going on. So I think it's really brought a level where we have to trust them. And, and, you know, I didn't agree with all their drafting decisions this year. I think corner should have really been addressed. But it didn't happen. And at the end of the day, I think that I trust this organization more than I trust myself <laughs> at this point. Well, that so, doesn't mean you don't get to have an opinion, right? Of course, no. But but I can't say they were wrong for not picking a corner. Maybe I can say that in five years, but I can't say that right now. Well, I don't know. I think they're wrong, but, uh, you know, I, I don't get paid the big bucks. I'm just a dumb podcaster. Uh, You're not a dumb podcaster. I, uh, 2018, I was watching it in B-dubs with my brother. And like I said, this was the moment I knew we were getting a quarterback. We saved up all this draft capital. We're trading up. I know we're getting a guy. I've been waiting for this moment for pretty much 20 years for all my life. (laughs) And, uh, then they picked Josh Allen, and I was I was pissed. And it's not that. So I was I. Then they traded up. I, I I turned the draft off after the Josh Allen pick because I'm like, hey, Buffalo's done. They trade up for for Edmonds, and okay, I was like, you know what you did with the picks you had coming in. Obviously, you know there was the Cordy Glenn trade. There was everything leading up to the draft. We knew, like you mentioned, it was going to be a quarterback, and they they did well in that draft overall. So I I think, and and I just want to say this, and I don't understand what it is. And I don't know if other football fans have experienced it, but the way I feel when Josh Allen drops back to throw that football, it's like your first love, man. It really is. It's aching to that. Every down running plays are a waste. Now I don't want to see any of them. I want him to throw all the time. Let's get 6,000 passing yards this year and zero rushing yards. Maybe, maybe then he'll win the MVP, you know? (laughs) Nah, Rogers deserved it. Uh, we can cry about it, but Rodgers. Ooh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I can say that, man. I think I think you take Rodgers off that team and you take Josh Allen off of this team, it's different scenarios. Because if you take Josh Allen off of this football team, I don't think they win more than seven or eight games. You take Rodgers away, I don't know what they have with Jordan Love. I, I don't know. I think their, their team success might have been better than Buffalo's team success. Buffalo was completely reliant on Josh Allen. And if you – Take those letters MVP 
most valuable player, I think Josh Allen was more valuable than Aaron Rodgers was. Yeah, okay. Um, I I think Rodgers had the better year. And, you know, I'm I, I'm objective as they come. And, of course, I love Allen. But, I mean, I, it's hard for me to say that Rodgers didn't have the better year. You can say that, but you're wrong. So it's okay. <laughs> All right. You got anything else for me, Dan? Hey, I'm happy to be here. Uh, you're coming on Icy Mike's one of these days. I'm, I'm going to bring you on. Okay, great. We'll look forward to it. Icy Mike's Sundays on the Built in Buffalo podcast network. Go find it. Subscribe. We have content every single day of the week. That means seven days a week. Every single day you wake up, there is new Buffalo Bills content in the feed. Uh, we work very hard and we get along and we play hard with each other too. So uh, get to know us and, and make sure you subscribe and listen to Dan here on Sundays. Thanks, buddy. All right, Dan. Have a good day. Good stuff, man. Thanks. Bills Mafia, I'm very excited about this next guest. It's top shelf guest right here. I have Tilt Money over from the Air Raid Hour, one half of the Air Raid Hour, two shows a week because those guys are insane. Tilt, how you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, that, when you put it that way, two shows a week during the offseason is is insane. But uh, as you probably know, Steve's on hiatus right now. He got married and he's on his honeymoon. So we're taking a little bit of a, a break. We're having some some fill-ins on the show here and there. Um, but yeah, man, it's uh, it's good. Uh, I'm doing well. I hope you are. Yeah, everything's good here, man. I'm I'm happy. Um, it's really hot here in Indy. It feels like August, and uh, I guess I don't have to mow my grass as often. So I guess that's good. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, you know the drill. I have ten questions in front of me. You can have any one you like, except for number. Actually, it's number nine. Number nine is taken. Which one would you like? Well, I went with two last time, so I'm not going to go with that one this time. So I'm actually going to go with. You know what? Give me, give me the classic, Doug Flutie, lucky number seven. Let's go with lucky number seven tonight. Okay, interesting. Um. Everybody always picks seven. I never get through a week where people don't pick seven. <laughs> um, I Wait, can I change? Can I change? Is it because to, to mix it up? Don't pick well, seven. You can. It's I'm I'm not forcing you to do anything. It's a good question. I'm not trying to run away from it. I'm just making an observation. <laughs> I'm not judging you in any way. Um, All right, let's stick with it. Let's stick with it. <laughs> okay. Um, I I have some feelings about the off season, and most of them are positive. Maybe some of them I have a little reservations about, but Mm -hmm. David Tilton, you were the GM of the Buffalo bills for this past off season. What would you have done differently? Oh, wow. Well, uh, I'm going to stay consistent here. So people want to go look back at sort of what I was saying in, in April and in May, uh, it, there will be, there will be receipts of consistency here. I I'll tell you what I would have done differently. I would have, I would have drafted a, a top shelf corner, a top talented corner early in the draft. That would have been my main. That would 
that would have been one of the things I would have done differently. And the reason for that is, is this, um, obviously hindsight's 2020. If you get Carlos Basham in the second round, either way, then it's a slam dunk. But regardless, my point, uh, about drafting a CB two or like an elite CB early was I really liked the thought of pairing Trey white, who, you know, is one of the top paid corners now in the league and an, an elite corner in the league with a young stud who on a rookie contract could have potentially been also a top tier corner in the league. And the reason I say that is because we kind of come into the situation where we're going to get deep into the playoffs and potentially have to go up against teams like Kansas city, um, other teams on the rise in the AFC that have really done a lot to help their receiving cores. I think about, you know, Kansas city, I know Pittsburgh, you know, we don't know what Ben's left, but they've got a nice receiving core. The Bengals are an up and coming, coming team with a good receiving core, the Browns with Odell back. Um, and even the Ravens now put a lot of investment in the receiving core. I want, I want to be able to feel confident that it's not just going to be Trey and like everyone else. I want to be able to lock down any and all number of receivers that the other team can throw on us. And I thought that by drafting a CB early, that would have been the best way for us to do that. Now that didn't, that's not what happened, but that's what I would have done. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Uh, Bruce, the same question, I don't know, a month or six weeks or so. And, and that's pretty much what he said. Now I, I, I have to, you know, be transparent here. I don't study college players like you and Steve or and most of them, and Joe Marino and, and Bruce, that's not what I do. Um, so when it comes to the draft, I maybe don't have as strong or refined opinions as you guys do, but I, to me, I didn't need to necessarily have a first round corner, although I would have been happy if it happened. Um, I understand why they took Russo there. The really elite pass rushers don't usually fall that far. Um, so they just kind of took a swing on, on a project guy. And I don't hate that, but they didn't even bother to pick one until they picked wild goose who, despite having an awesome last name is, I guess, projected to be more of that slot corner. And so they didn't address it at all. You know, I didn't need to have one in the first round, but man, you, you, you made no move to upgrade that position at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I argue with people all the time. The reason why we lost the Kansas city game is yeah, our pass rush was not as good, but we were pressuring him a little bit. I mean, if you can't cover guys down the field, like Tari kill, like we're just asking to be set up again for the same result. I think. I totally agree. I mean, I got into I'm getting into arguments all the time with people about that Kansas City game and people saying, "Oh, like Julio Jones would have made a difference in the game." I'm like, did you watch our defense in that game? Like Julio Jones was not making a difference in that game. I'm sorry. Like our defense it was luck. It, we were fortunate if we forced them to not get a touchdown. Like if we held them to a field goal, that was a win, and it just clearly didn't happen. And the reason I say that, you know, in hindsight, it's easy to say because there are a lot of good corners early in the draft. And there were a lot of good corners that even fell in the second round and even in the third. And we continued to pass on them. People love wild goose because of the name. And he's already kind of a cult favorite with fans just because the name, but I would caution people to not really have super high hopes for him as a rookie. Like he's very raw. He's almost a little too aggressive, uh, gets a lot of penalties. And I, I just, yeah, for me, 
I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't have a ton of, um, not confidence is the wrong word, but I wouldn't have, I wouldn't expect him to be like a huge contributor in year one. I know almost next to nothing about Elijah Griffin. What is your opinion on him? I thought he should have been drafted personally. I, I mean, I did think he was a day three guy, uh, but I did think he should have been drafted. I mean, for his size um, and his background and obviously played at USC, like there is, there's some pedigree there um, for him. And I thought athletically he was decent. I don't think he was elite by any means, but I, I did feel like he could have been drafted and, and probably should have been drafted. I think he's got an outside chance to make the team. There are guys like him, McLeod, Wild Goose at the bottom of that CB roster, and all of them are going to have a legitimate shot because, like we just said, they didn't they didn't draft a corner early. So you're talking about Trey White, you know, Levi Wallace, Dane Jackson, and and Taron Johnson really kind of as maybe the four guys you pencil in as for sure things. But after that, I mean, the Bills are known to keep nine defensive backs, so you know that could be an area where he may be one of those guys, Elijah Griffin or wild goose, or even um, Tariq Thompson or someone like that um, comes in and maybe snags that ninth defensive back spot um, outside of those four corners and four safeties. So it should be interesting. Yeah. God help us all. If something happens to Trey, I know his back was a little bothersome last year, but I mean, last year he wasn't even really up to his own standards. I I felt like last year was not a great year for Trey, but if he gets hurt at all, yeah, it could get We're ugly. in trouble. We're yeah. in trouble. Yeah, we are in trouble for sure. Um, and that is another reason why I thought they maybe would go out and at least maybe sign someone. Like, I'm not necessarily like banging the drum for Richard Sherman, but like it maybe someone else. Like, I mean, even if it is him, like they didn't do anything. They really didn't do anything. They drafted a guy late and they and they signed a, a UDFA, a couple UDFAs. So again, I will say this. Um, and I made this point to, on our show. I think that I think the Bills do that, or they have done that. You know, they've let Levi kind of fend off competition. They haven't really addressed the position in free agency or early in the draft with any kind of um, real investment. I know they signed Josh Norman the year before, but with real investment, right? I'm talking like stud, young stud, multi-year or early in the draft. I think it's because they as a coaching staff feel like out of all the position groups on their roster, that corner and really defensive back in general is probably where they can get the most out of the players they have, even if they're limited athletically um, based purely on coaching. I think that's where they feel like their coaching helps the most or can help the most. And that's probably why they don't make huge investments there. It's an assumption I'm making, but I, I think there's a trend there and given the background of those guys, McDermott and Frazier, I think there there could be some truth to that. I feel like I've heard you make that argument before, and I can't find any any flaws in it because, I mean, it's just to, to me it, it seems like just a glaring over um, oversight. You know, um, we can talk about how much we love Levi all day long, but really, how much do we? Because he hasn't really beat any competition. I mean, if you want to call Josh Norman and EJ Gaines competition, I guess. Mm-hmm. and they give him one and a half million dollars which is peanuts and they are you're right i i think it makes a lot of sense um they just feel like they can coach him up and get just enough and maybe save a few bucks here or whatever um but it's still to me getting that cornerback too that 
on a rookie deal, by the way, so we don't have to worry about salary. Yep. Um, made a lot more sense to me. So let me get your thoughts on Steven Nelson. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be fine bringing him in. I think that when you look at the roster and sort of where there's still opportunity to bring players in, I know a lot of people are like, oh, let's bring in Jarrell Case. But like the defensive line is already is already stacked with numbers, right? I mean, corner position is one where you could, you really could add someone and that person, that person could make an immediate impact for a starting job or at least to make the team. So I'm, I'm on board with potentially bringing in a guy like Steven Nelson. Uh, I think it would be a, a smart move for the bills. I just don't know that this late in the game that we would, we're actually going to see something like that. Now, who knows, right? Because there's a ton of free agents still unsigned. You know, there are guys maybe waiting around to see what happens in training camp if other if players get injured. But I've noticed, or it feels like at least this year, that there are more guys kind of sitting around that are what I would call like signable quality, you know, players than in years past. So it's really interesting to me to see guys like Steven Nelson, Sherman, guys like that still unsigned. So I'm, 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 I'm okay with it if they want to, if they want to bring him in. Yeah, it is. It is odd, isn't it? Like, is it they're holding out by choice because they're not getting the money they want? I mean, obviously, but why is that? Um, it's, it's, it is odd. Steven Nelson's a strong corner. I mean, he's probably, if he's, he's a number two corner, he's, probably among the best number two corners in the league, I think. Um, well, it begs the question too. Like, I mean, I can maybe understand a guy like Richard Sherman who's who's aged and he's really maybe looking for that one year go to a team that he thinks can make some noise. But Steven Nelson, I would have thought that ha- would have had many suitors by this point and he probably could have gotten some, some decent money. So it's kind of interesting that he hasn't signed yet anywhere. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the defensive line a little bit. I had a, a little bit of a flirtatious thought about Casey Durrell too, but yeah, they're going to be some hard, hard cuts on that defensive line, but I'm still kind of thinking that stars there at the one tech and we have a bunch of kind of tweener guys that are kind of not really one techs, but they can play one tech a little. Um, That's why I kind of think that maybe a guy like Trayvon Hester really does have a shot to make the roster, even if he's, you know, kind of end of the roster guy. I think he's got some value and I really think that he has got an outside shot to make the, the final roster. I think the defensive tackles behind Oliver and star are, are, I mean, you can make an argument that it's totally up in the air behind those guys. Now it's likely that Butler is going to make the team just for monetary reasons after the restructure. But I mean, even a guy like Harrison Phillips, as much as people love him, like, I don't know that there's a guarantee that he's going to make the team. He hasn't played a ton of great football, honestly, um, for the bills. Like, yes, he looked promising before his injury, but like, has he really strung together a ton of good play? I mean, Bruce and I were talking about this last week. Like we presume Harrison Phillips is kind of a lock because we like him, but like, is he really? And then guys like Justin Zimmer, who are also fan favorites, like, is he a lock when you have, um, you know, when you have guys like Vernon Butler who are likely to make the team. So, it could come down to like one roster spot for a Harrison Phillips, Hester and Zimmer. Like they may all be fighting for one roster spot. Who knows? Right. It's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, and, and talking, going back to the draft, talking about, you know, how he drafted, 
Rousseau and then bash him again in round two. Like we did those restructures prior to the draft. So they didn't really know who they were drafting. I feel like they had some guys on their radar and then those two guys just fell in their laps and like, well, we have to do it. So when we talk about Mario Addison or Vernon Butler having their contracts restructured and how likely they are to stay, I mean, yes, but the, the fact that specifically with Addison, that we did draft those two young guys and we have Epinenza and we have Hughes on the other side. Like I know we just restructured him. I don't think he's by any means a lock. He could be cut or traded. I think. I think the bills would love, probably love to get something from him in a return for like in a trade, but they also, other teams may also look at it as like the bills are going to have to make a tough decision with him. And if they keep him, you know, someone else like an Obata or, 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 you know, someone like that may be cut. Anyway, regardless of who it is, like you start looking at the defensive ends and the fact that they drafted two really throws a wrench into what they're going to do come cut time, right? So they got yeah. Rousseau, Basham, Hughes, Epinesa. You figure all four of those guys are are pretty, pretty much locks. I mean, I've seen some people float the idea that Hughes is going to be gone, but I just can't buy into that. Um, and not so, a Super Bowl run. If we're going for a Super Bowl, we're not trading Hughes. Yeah, or cutting him for that matter. Um, yeah. So those four ends are likely locks. And, you know, Greg and I were talking about this online a bit. You know, the under McDermott, the Bills have only kept the maximum of nine defensive linemen. Now, will they move to, will they, will they keep 10 potentially this year? There's a chance. But even if they do, you're talking about Mario Addison, Daryl Johnson, F.A. Obata. That's three guys that may be fighting for one roster spot, maybe two. So, like, there is going to be someone that gets cut that, people don't want to see get cut. I just think there's, it's just a numbers game. Yeah. I, I had Steve on maybe a few weeks ago and we were talking about kind of the same thing, but cut day is going to be rough. It's going to be like, we're going to look at it and we're going to do the math and be like, Oh, that guy's safe. Well, is he really? And then we're going to see the wire and be like, Oh man, that really hurts. It's going to be rough for the defensive line. And I think it's going to be rough for the receiving core. And those are the two, I think that, come cut down time, we may, we may be in pain potentially. Yeah. As <laughs> yeah. Hodgins. I know Steve's a big Hodgins guy, but I don't know. I, I think the path is really narrow and, and maybe there's a trade that we don't see there somewhere. I mean, maybe that could happen, but I think the path is really narrow for the Hodgins. The path is narrow. Although I do, I do feel like that Hodgins could get on the practice squad again i i wouldn't be scared of trying to put him on the practice squad again i don't think he's going to get scooped up um now i could be wrong and it could be that maybe they try to get stevenson on the practice squad or they could try to keep seven receivers there are a lot of ways they could do it i think what what really will determine how many receivers we keep because the bills have never kept more than six under mcdermott either i know it's only been four seasons but Again, if they keep seven, it will be a mild surprise. I think the way uh, or the key thing to watch for um, during training camp as to whether or not we think they might keep seven is the actually the kick return punt return battle. If yeah. they can find if they can find one guy to do both roles, they pro they probably would only keep six. But if they end up needing a guy to do each, like one guy to do punt return, one guy to do kick return, there's a chance that that's the way that we could see seven make the team. Yeah, I think you talked about that with Bruce last week. And, and yeah, uh, I, I mean, McKenzie seems like the most logical choice. If you're going to have one guy doing both roles, yep. um, Stevenson seems like I really want to see him return kicks. 
but I, I I'm trying to remember. I maybe he did five punts or something in college, or maybe I'm thinking of Brita. But like, I don't want to in the middle of a Super Bowl run just kind of be like, yeah, I know you can catch punts. Go out there and do your thing. It, mm-hmm. That just seems kind of reckless. So it makes me think that McKenzie's pretty safe. Yeah, and I know they were trying Stevenson doing some punt return practice in OTAs, and I guess it didn't look too great. I think that's what Matt Perino had said. Um, Stevenson did return uh, a few punts early in his college career, I think his first two years, but nothing in his last two years uh, as far as punt returns. And Brita, on the Brita front, he had he's the one that had the five career kick returns in the NFL, but they were all from 2017. So he's, he's not really a kick returner by nature. Um, so McKenzie, like you said, I mean, he's really the guy with the most experience there, but it also really doesn't make me feel great. And it also makes me really appreciate Andre Roberts and what we had with him. I'm with you. I'd love to see Stevenson be the kick returner. Cause I think he's got the highest ceiling and like could be the most explosive returner we have. But that likely means you're probably going to have McKenzie doing punts, and who knows what that means for Isaiah Hodgins then if you end up keeping both of those guys on the team. Yeah. How fun is it, though? I mean, it, <laughs> we're sitting here talking about getting getting ready to feel the pain of cut day, but uh, most of my adult life cut days meant almost nothing. Oh, Brandon Riley's gone? Oh, man, I really love mm-hmm. what did it really matter? Nothing. It never mattered. We were cutting players that weren't going to make you know anybody else's roster, but – now that we're a little better, the players for cutting hurt. And uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance that a couple of players we cut are going to end up somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, I, I, me and Greg were talking about this too. It's like, we're now debating like the last three to five guys that make the team as opposed to like the 25 guys we need <laughs> to make the team. Right. Like it's, it's, it's crazy that it's gotten to this point. It's awesome that it's gotten to this point. And I'd much rather be in this position than the alternative, but it is going to hurt because you feel like as a team and as fans, you've invested into these players organizationally, they've invested in them as fans. We've gotten to know them and follow them. And then, you know, they're going to be gone. Some of them are going to be gone. It's just the nature of it, but yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Well, Till, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes of your time to talk to me tonight. Uh, it's, it's always a pleasure. Honestly, I, I love you guys. Uh, I do catch up. I, I don't listen. I don't watch the live shows, but I do catch and catch up on podcast form. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm big fans of you too. And I appreciate you coming over and spending some time with me on my pod. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be a, uh, I guess I can officially call myself a recurring guest now, right? Cause you're a been- friend of the pod. <laughs> oh, is that better? Yeah, is I think so. Better? I just, okay. I think so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like it. I don't know that I've ever been a friend of the pod before. So that's nice. That's really nice. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm a friend of my own pod. If Steve even would refer to me as that, but, uh, uh, no, I appreciate it, man. It's always fun, uh, chatting with you. Uh, and it's, uh, it's my pleasure to do it. You got anything else for me? No, man, I will just say this. Uh, can we get to late July already? Like this is this next couple of weeks going to be slow. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't envy you at all. <laughs> Trying to do two live shows a week right now. Yeah, it's that's difficult. Uh, <laughs> but that's why you're a trooper. That's why you're the best till. Well, I appreciate that, man. We're going to have some fun stuff lined up for the next couple of weeks. I think they're doing like a we're doing like a best plays of 2020 show we're doing a um we're going to do a couple other like theme type shows where it's going to be a little bit off what we normally do just to kind of try to 
mix it up a little in the summer. All right. David Tilton, Tilt Money, one half of the Air Raid Hour over there on the Buffalo Fanatics channel. Um, if you're listening to me, you already know who he is. He's great. Thank you so much, Tilt. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. Have a good night. Bill's Mafia. Boy, have I got a special treat for you. Last but not least in the Mafia hot seat this week is founder of the Built in Buffalo Network, DM3. How are you doing, Dave? Vince, I am on the hot seat and I can already feel it. It's it's getting quite steamy in here. This this is going to be fun because we've been trying to do this for a long time. And it's usually me that's saying, hey, I, I, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. But here we are. We're going to do it. We're going to we're going to knock this one out. It's it's painless. I promise. I promise. <laughs> All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. So, you know the drill. I have 10 questions in front of me. Two of them have already been taken. Numbers 7 and 9 are, are gone, but you can have any other number that you like. Hmm, let's go with number 3. I like this because it's, it's a more open-ended question, so it should get some good discussion going. But uh, I have a feeling of where you're going to go, but... What do you think the biggest area of concern for this team is? We're bringing pretty much everybody back. You know, you can say we're losing John Brown. We're getting a same caliber type player in Emmanuel Sanders to take his role. Uh, we have drafted some guys with some upside, but, you know, I don't feel like there's any real glaring holes. But what do you think the biggest area of concern for this team is? Ooh. I could probably go in a few different directions. There's obviously no glaring needs um, because like you said, we brought, we brought in Emmanuel Sanders, which I believe is going to compliment Stefan Diggs really well. He, his route running is top five in the NFL. So I don't, I don't see that as, as like a lose, lose situation. I think that's going to be a plus. He's going to be another safety blanket for Josh. One thing that I'm concerned with, and this can kind of go two ways, is the interior of the offense and defensive line. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of elaborate on that by saying I wasn't impressed with our guard play, and I don't think a lot of Bills fans were last season. Everybody wants to talk about the run game, and was it the backs? Was it the line? Was it the scheme? Was it the play calling? Did we just not try to run? So I, I I like John Feliciano, and I have faith in this coaching staff in the front office to see that there's something there with Cody Ford, and we have to give him a shot because this is this is it. I mean, he's he's going to be playing left guard, and you know, barring any kind of injuries or anything. So we didn't necessarily go out and upgrade that position. We we brought back Feliciano. Um, team friendly contract, you know, Cody Ford, it's a, it's a big what if right there. So Brian Dable was was very outspoken, you know, talking about the fact that I don't have any pressure to install a run package. I just want to do it when we need to do it and do it correctly, meaning I want to be effective if we have to, you know, turn towards the run game. I I want to be able to do it effectively like they did in 2019 and 2018. Um, and with the defensive line, everybody is 
placing a lot on Star Latulale's shoulders coming back from not playing football since the AFC wildcard game against the Texans in 2019. Everybody thinks that he's going to be the savior of this defensive line. And he's an average one tech defensive tackle. And he, he plays his position like he's supposed to. He does his job not to take anything from Bill Belichick, but he does his job. Um, so, is, is that going to be the difference maker? You know, is Harrison Phillips going to step up? Is Ed Oliver going to step up? You know, where are we going to line up Gregory Rousseau? I think it's still the unknown, and we didn't address it really at all um, in the offseason via free agency, via the draft. Um, so they're placing a lot. They have a lot riding on Star Latulale, you know, shoring up this run defense and hoping that that was the biggest component that was missing last year and it will help you know Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds it will help Ed Oliver playing back in his three tech natural position um other than that uh I'm still not sold on CB2 um now if Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott looked at the the roster that it's currently constructed and said hey we're going to be all in on pass rush and the coverage is this going to be what it is? And hopefully McDermott can get these guys back working in the scheme that was extremely successful in 2019. I'm not sold on Levi Wallace. I think we know who he is. I think when Levi Wallace lines up opposite of Tredavious White, we know who he is. I'm not saying he's a bad CB2 because he could probably be a CB2 on just about any other team in the NFL. But I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned if there's – he's been targeted. I mean, he's been targeted in games and it's, it's just one of those things. Like I, I want someone to come in and, and, and beat him out for his position. And unfortunately we've done it the route of bringing in, you know, mid tier level veteran free agents like a Josh Norman, Avante Davis, things like that. And now we have a guy in Dane Jackson and I'm really excited to see what he brings. So if I had to, I guess, rank them in order, um, I would say defensive line would be, I don't want to call it a hole, but it's its going to be my biggest kind of what if. You know, if everything, no pun intended here, if the stars align, hopefully they can get back to form of 2019. Um, and then I would go offensive line, interior offensive line, because I think our tackles are going to be our tackles for a while. And I think that they've solidified themselves um, in the position with Dawkins and Daryl Williams. I think those guys, they're going to be there. They played at a really high caliber in 2020, so I think we're good there. And then it's CB2. So I went off on a huge tangent there, but it is what it is. <laughs> you covered all your bases there, and you hit all the, you, you really hit all the, all the hot-button issues. Um, when you're talking about not wanting to upgrade CB2, I, I get it. Like, he we've had good pass defenses with Levi back there and we decided to upgrade the pass rush. I guess to me, it didn't have to be one or the other. You still could have found a way. You still right now can find a way to get Steven Nelson in here if you so choose, but they seem okay. And me in a very layman's terms, think that maybe they want to design the scheme that way. They want Trey to be over here and shut this down because they want to funnel the ball this way. And I don't really know the answer to that. Maybe that's true. But, and they say, well, they like Levi. Do they really like Levi? I know they bring him back, but they give him a peanuts contract. 
And they don't really give him any true competition. If you're going to call EJ Gaines or Josh Norman competition, I don't know. I don't know if that's really competition. I, I, I question that a little bit. Yeah. And the thing to me is about Levi Wallace, because if, if you look at, if you're just one of those people that likes to look at stats and you like to look at PFF and, and that's fine. PFF serves a purpose. If we agree with how they treat bills players or not, if we agree with their rankings, you know, or not, they do a good job. And Levi Wallace is decently ranked amongst PFF because he does his job. He actually does his job. The thing that I don't, the thing about Levi Wallace that kind of gets me is that he he always plays the man, which means he's not going to get the turnovers. He plays his man, which doesn't allow him to play the ball, which Tredavious White does. Tredavious White, he's not a ball hawk, but he he can cut on a pass. Um, for instance, the game against the Seahawks when Russell Wilson he completely he completely baited Russell Wilson into throwing that pick because he was just kind of hanging out in the zone. He was just, he he wasn't really shadowing anybody, and then as soon as Russell Wilson looked over in his direction. He broke on the ball and he made the play. Levi Wallace isn't that guy. Um, and it's, I, I kind of, I, I don't make fun of Levi Wallace, but I'm kind of saying he's the guy that tackles the guy that catches the ball. Yes. It, that's kind of like a dumbed down way to say it. But Levi Wallace is never that guy that's going to make a dynamic pass breakup or, you know, he's going to strip a ball or he's going to go and ball hawk somebody. So that's one thing. I, I am super pumped actually for preseason because I do want to see what Dane Jackson has. We had such a small sample size. Everybody's pounding the table for him. Um, I'm a supporter of Dane Jackson, but if he can't beat out Levi Wallace, he can't beat out Levi Wallace. And and like you said, there's there has to be a, a trust factor in this defensive line and all the stuff that they've done. I mean, you've seen Mario Addison come in underweight and he looks he looks in like he's impeccable in impeccable shape. Starr came in in amazing shape. You know, Ed Oliver Sean McDermott even came out and said, you know, he was asked in a press conference, what's your thoughts on what Ed Oliver can do this year? He said he's going to change the game. So they have faith in him on top of the fact, you know, that they they brought in, they drafted Rousseau, they drafted Basham, you know, they, they, they just have this faith in this defensive line. And to me, I think that they already know what they have in the other four guys playing in the second or the four guys that play in the secondary. And then if you add in Teron Johnson. Um, I think they know what they have there. So I think they can, they feel like they can work with that. They feel like that. Okay. In 2019, we were good. Like we were able to not at, at a high level, get to the quarterback, but we weren't giving up big plays. We were, we were allowing to shut things down. It was like a bend, but break mentality. Um, and, it, and it worked. And then you have Poyer and Hyde back there who I think are, are, are a couple pro bowlers that it's one of the best safety duos in the NFL. So I don't know, man. I, I mean, one thing I could see them doing, trying to go to with Matt Milano, is trying to go to sort of a hybrid style, making him like the big nickel, um, because he's our best he's our best coverage linebacker. And as we all know, we get gashed by tight ends um, quite frequently, mm-hmm. and it's something I think that they they should look into because some teams use it. Um, that's why I was kind of pounding the table for JOK because that's kind of what he does. He can be a safety, he can be a linebacker, he can roam the field and just kind of see ball get ball type thing but i don't know it's it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting this camp is gonna be good there's a ton of competition there's a ton of depth um this is probably the deepest roster that this team's had in at least the last 15 years as far as there's guys that are going to get cut that, are, that can go and play for other teams and contribute for other teams so it's it's going to be fun to watch yeah i was actually just talking with tilt about that like most of my adult life we worry about oh brandon riley's getting cut oh i like that guy and then what does he ever do nothing 
But yeah. this year, I think there's real opportunity for two, maybe three guys to get caught on with another squad somewhere. And I know Justice took some heat because he said uh, a couple weeks ago that he thought Mario Addis can get cut. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility at all um, because they made they they gave Mario Addison that new contract before the draft. Then the draft happens. Then you draft two defensive ends back to back with their first two picks. You didn't know that when you gave him the money. So I don't think he's by any means safe. He's probably it's probably not likely. And if anything, he's probably more like a late round trade candidate, you know, picking up a late round pick. But uh, I agree with Justice there. I, you know, I might even go so far as to say Vernon Butler, even if we just did the same thing, he might be not be as safe as he thinks he is either. Um, I don't think we have any real true one techs on the team besides star uh, Vernon Butler's kind of a tweener. You know, I, I, I think Trayvon Heston's going to get a good hard look and he might get actually get a, a decent shot to make the team. Yeah. And it, it's funny too, because don't forget about AJ Epinesa. So he's, he's a guy that's, he's got something to prove, right? He, I think if he would have been drafted by, you know, a ton of other teams other than the bills, you know, last season, I think he would have saw a lot more playing time, but it's the McDermott. You got to earn it. You got to, you got to figure out your path in the NFL and, and, you know, the habits in this, and he's done everything they've asked him to lose weight, gain weight, lose weight, gain weight. Um, but the guy, the guy that I want to see, the guy that I, I absolutely love, and he might be one of those camp stories like you were talking about, Brandon Riley, is is Justin Zimmer. Um, I like Justin Zimmer, and I like what I saw in small doses of him as well last year. And nobody's going to forget the play he made on Cam Newton in the Patriots game. Um, I know it's one play, but it's a lot. It, one play was more than a lot of those guys that are making a lot of money made um, last year, we talk about Vernon Butler and we talk about Mario Addison. What what links do they have? Sean McDermott in Carolina. I'm not saying that they would keep those guys on the roster because they played in Carolina with McDermott, but you know, I mean, they restructured Addison. If it, unless he comes in and just it just doesn't look like he fits the scheme of what they're doing, and he's not picking back up to where he was in 2019 when he had, I believe, he had nine and a half or ten sacks, then. Maybe, but there's a lot of dead money involved there too. And I know how Brandon Bean hates dead money. So I just want to see the young guys get out there and get after it. I want to see what these guys have. I'm really excited to see what Rousseau has. I, I'm just really intrigued by his length and his ability to just make plays, especially in the run game. Um, he's going to be a force in the run game, and that's something that they need. So maybe they're banking on a lot of that stuff to happen and come to fruition this year. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously somebody's got to step up because we, I mean, besides Jerry, if somebody on the other side is doing their job just a little bit better, I, Jerry's sack total goes up. Oh, I agree. If if we can get, you know, half of the pressures that Jerry creates on the other side coming from, you know, one of these other guys or combined effort between all of them, because you got to think last year we had Trent Murphy on the roster who just ate up cap space and he was in out, he was inactive every week. So we've improved there because, you know, they got two guys they drafted on top of the fact that I think A.J. Epinesa is going to come in with a huge chip on his shoulder, and I think he beats out Addison if Addison stays on the roster. Um, and he starts opposite of, of Jerry Hughes. I know they run the rotation. but um, And then you have Carlos Basham, who everybody said he was, he was NFL ready. 
Um, so I'm really intrigued. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I, I think too, that McDermott's going to be able to get back to some of his habits and some of his routines because there was OTAs and there was mandatory mini camp and there's going to be a regular training camp and three preseason games. I think the defense comes back to form. It may not be top three like it was in 2019, but I think it'll, it'll, it'll be a lot improved over last year for sure. Yeah, I, I sure hope so. It, it does feel very simple just to say, well, stars back. So everything should be better. That feels very simple, especially since he's a one year removed from football right now. We can say he looks great because we saw a nine second video, but we haven't really seen what it looks like in a real game with some real competition. So it feels simple and I'm kind of hoping that I'm wrong. And I'm sure there's other smarter people that can tell me there's other things I need to be aware of, but uh, you know, yeah, I think it is a key position. And, and if he's anything close to what he was in 2019 or 2018, um, yeah, I hope it maybe cleans up um, the linebackers and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, too, having a healthy Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds for the whole year will make a huge difference. You know, knock on wood, I don't I don't want to jinx anything because everybody wants to label Matt Milano as an injury-prone guy, which is not the case at all. Um, and he battled through an injury last year before finally being put on the IR and, and kudos to the guy for fighting through that. But you got to think too. Okay. So Ed Oliver towards the end of 2019 was trending up. Like he looked like he was figuring things out. The game was slowing down for him. He wasn't on the ground as much as, as, as he was in the beginning of the season. So Ed, Ed I think is trending up in 2021. I think if you have a healthy Milano and a healthy Edmonds and star being back, that's, I think that's kind of a, the, you know, an equation for success. And I think that gets back to the roots of McDermott loves his linebackers and he wants those guys to be able to roam free and be able to get in there and create havoc. And I think you're going to see more of that Um, on top of, you know, like I said, you know, AJ Klein now has a role in this defense. He's not a superstar, but they figured out how to use him. Um, And if you can use him the way that they used him, say, you know, sparingly in games against like the the Seahawks and some other games, he's also, he can also be effective. So, I think we, we learned last year the key to his success is Twitter bullying. You have to call him out on Twitter, and then he's fine. Yeah, I mean, I was – I was. oh, my gosh. I, on, on some of our shows on Billsology, I was I was not kind to A.J. Klein, and it, it completely did a 180 on me. And every week I was picking him as a hot take, it seemed like. A.J. Klein is going to have four sacks and three interceptions. <laughs> uh, some crazy stuff. But it, it's going to be fun. I think this defense is going to be improved for sure. Yeah. Uh, offensive line, and you mentioned the offensive line way back minutes ago, but um, I don't think we had a lot of talent on the interior line, and that includes Mitch Morse. Uh, every time to me it looked like we were Josh was getting pressure, it was always up the middle, and you handing the ball off, there's always somebody in the running back's face before they really can even figure out what they want to do with it. And we don't have a lot of talent there. And I know that people say, well, the starting five, the projected starting five didn't have any time together, and I I don't know what that's worth. I don't think that makes you go from one of the worst run blocking teams to the middle of the pack. There's some non-zero value to that, but it's not enough to make me excited or think that's going to change drastically. And to your point earlier, I would like to be able to run the ball when we have a lead at the end of the game. I mean, last year I had no faith that we could pick up even a small third and short on the ground. I wanted Josh to pass all the time. Uh, But, you know, I'd like to, to be able to believe that we can pick up some run yards at the end of the game, but last year we didn't feel like we could do that. Yeah. I mean, there's two games I can think of that they were able 
to actually run out the game. The, the Steelers game, Zach Moss looked great. And then the Patriots, the first Patriots game, both Moss and Singletary, both, I believe they um, they were pushing 100 yards each. I think they were both in the 80s or something like that. Those were probably the two games where they were able to, but the teams they were playing, that was their Achilles heel, was the run defense. Um, so, you know, Dable picked his poison those two games, similar to what he did against the Seahawks, playing against the, the worst passing defense in the NFL. He said, Josh, just let it rip all game. So to your point, um, I, I, I'm concerned about the interior of the line, Mitch Morris. Now, if you look back at 2019, Mitch Morris, when they were doing a lot more pulling run plays, he was out in space and he was effective. Um, but as far as Feliciano and Cody Ford, Cody Ford is a huge, what if, you know, and I'm glad they retained Ike Botker because I thought Ike Botker was probably the best guy they stuffed in there at left guard last year. And that's not saying a ton. Right. So they went out and they drafted three linemen, you know, whether you can say that they can't play guard or, or, you know, they, they can, um, they drafted three linemen. So we'll have to see. I know that Feliciano's contract after this year is pretty team friendly as far as what we can do with him in the future. And then I think this is really make or break for Cody Ford. Is he going to be a left guard? You know, he played, he played on the right side of the line in college and in his rookie season. So, you know what I mean? Like, he took There's, a cup of coffee there last year. Like he barely had maybe like one game where he got a handful of snaps or something. Yeah. And there's, there's guys that are offensive linemen that will say like Daryl Williams has come out and said, I was put on the left side playing guard for the Carolina Panthers. And that's, I'm not comfortable there. I'm comfortable on the right side of the line, whether it be guard or tackle. So with the Buffalo bills, it happens to be tackle. He's the right tackle. So there's guys, I feel like they can't, do that's why when you find guys that can play like Ryan Bates or you know guys like that that can play it, it's they're like unicorns those guys that can play anywhere on the offensive line know what their job is you know know the guys next to them are going to help them out if needed or they need to help the guys out on either the left or right side of them depending on what you know where they're playing so it's it's hard it's going to be hard and I think preseason we're going to find out I think preseason we're going to find out real quick if Cody Ford is going to be the Bills starting left guard because I think there's still a lot of un answered questions about if he's able to do it, which, you know, it's, it's kind of tough because if he doesn't make it as a left guard, you know, i kind of feel, I don't want to say I feel bad for the guy because we have the right side. I, I feel like it's short up, especially with what we just drafted um, because the guy was drafted to be either the right tackle or the right guard. I think specifically the right tackle. And then we went out and got Daryl Williams and then he had a, a tremendous season. So yeah. the guy's going to get Cody Ford might be out of a job just because we got two other guys that, that they like and they plugged in there. So, and you know, injuries and things like that happened to Cody Ford. So, it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be really interesting. I mean, I don't, I don't know how comfortable I'd feel starting Ike Bakker at left guard, knowing the struggles that we had in the run game last year. But if, if that's what it is, that Brandon Bean and the boys have seem to have faith in the players we have on the roster because we haven't added anybody for camp. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, don't forget Forrest Lamb. Yeah, that's true. That's that's a great point. That Speck is a round pick injury riddled guy. Maybe this is where he gets it together. I mean, I feel like. If Cody Ford doesn't get together, he's get it together next year. He's going to be Forrest Lamp. That's what's going to look like, I think. It could be. And Forrest Lamp, I, I saw an interview that he did um, yesterday. He's extremely intelligent too, so that will help. Um, if he does have to play, that will help Deion Dawkins and, and Mitch Morse because he might be able to read some things, 
you know, ahead of those guys or be able to help those guys be put in the right position to be successful. So it's interesting. It's like I said, the depth, the depth is there. Um, not starting caliber guys at depth, but we have guys that can come in and, and, and play and be serviceable if, if need be, if something happens with Cody Ford. But I'm hoping that Cody Ford succeeds because I, I'm pulling for the guy. I'm rooting for the guy. I, I just, I feel like he got injured. He, he was moved around between tackle and guard, you know, with, in his rookie season, got that stupid penalty that wasn't a penalty with the blindside block in the Texans game. I know he felt horrible about it. And then he got injured last year mm-hmm. um, when they moved him after they moved him to left guard. So it'll be, it's, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it's not completely his fault, but he also hasn't played well when he has been given a chance either. Right. Yeah. Correct. 100%. <laughs> okay. DM3, what else you got for me? Nothing, man. It, this has been fun. I, I probably could have kept going on for an hour. You know how I am. Once I start talking, I don't stop. So, But no, this is good, man. This is great. In, in Vince's podcast on, on Mondays, if you guys don't listen, you need to listen. If you guys need to pick me up, Vince is probably one of the funniest dudes I've I've ever <laughs> listened to on a podcast, and all in a great way. Um, and Vince is since his podcast has come over, he's helped out the guys, and I, I just couldn't be more blessed to have him on our network. Oh shucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, bringing me on the team, and uh, you know I'm, I'm a big fan of all the guys out here, especially you and a Rich doing your thing on Saturday nights. The Billsology. It's one of my, when you put it in podcast form, yeah. it is one of my favorite things to listen to over the weekend. Um, I got a few different things I like to put in my ear when I'm like mowing or that kind of thing. Right. Uh, Billsology is right up there. So if you're not familiar with Billsology, make sure you go find that on the YouTube channel. And you can sometimes find it on the podcast network as well. <laughs> it should be up there weekly now. We're, we're going to, I'm going to make a habit of do, putting all of our live shows on our podcast network. So it'll be up there. Okay. DM3, appreciate your time tonight. Vince, I appreciate you, my guy. All right. Have a good one. You too. Bill's Mafia, that is all I have for you this week. Super long episode. Lots of great content, I think. And uh, some, I'm, I'm excited about the guests I had this week as well. So I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We will talk to you all again next week. Until then, please be kind to those around you and squeeze somebody close to you. Go Bills. It's a bad time, Bob. All right. I want to get a slice. You know what I just did? I just walked out that door, saw a couple detectives, and I was about to start bad-mouthing you behind your back. But I stopped myself because my pops taught me that a man who talks behind somebody's back is a coward. Wow, I actually appreciate that. Good, because I'm going to tell you directly to your face. No, you don't have to. No, I don't like you. I think you're a fake cop. The sound of your piss hitting the urinal, it sounds feminine. Mm -hmm. If we were in the wild, I would attack you. Even if you weren't in my food chain, I would go out of my way to attack you. If I were a lion and you were a tuna, I would swim out in the middle of the ocean and freaking eat you. And then I'd bang your tuna girlfriend. Okay, first off, a lion swimming in the ocean? Lions don't like water. If you'd placed it near a river or some sort of fresh water source, that makes sense. But you find yourself in the ocean, 20-foot waves, I'm assuming it's off the coast of South Africa, coming up against a full-grown 800-pound tuna with his 20 or 30 friends, you lose that battle. You lose that battle nine times out of ten. 
And guess what? You've wandered into our school of tuna, and we now have a taste of lion. We've talked to ourselves. We've communicated yeah. and said, you know what? Lion tastes good. Let's go get some more lion. We've developed a system to establish a beachhead and aggressively hunt you and your family. And we will corner your, your pride, your children, your How offspring. How are you going to do that? We will construct a series of breathing apparatus with kelp. We will be able to trap certain amounts of oxygen. It's not going to be days at a time, but hour, hour 45, no problem. That will give us enough time to figure out where you live, go back to the sea, get more oxygen, and then stalk you. You just lost your own game. You're outgunned and outmanned. Did that go the way you thought it was going to go? Nope. If you were not absolutely satisfied with this podcast episode, please contact your state senator or the postmaster general. Please be sure to mention. Vince Taylor said that you are a big fucking cryass. Boy, I'm sure glad that's over with. Me too. Yeah, but you know, I learned something today. Just when you think this show is terrible, something wonderful happens. What? It ends. <laughs>